Hey, Louisa, what's up? Hey, Jake. How's it going, man? Uh, I'm good. Uh, if you're listening to the show and you're wondering why it sounds kind of weird this week, we're having technical difficulties, which we think might be because like Amazon's servers crashed or something, which messed up Zoom. So we're recording via <laughs> Skype, which is a wonky ass program. But you know what? It's free content. It's fine. Besides, um, I believe that the Amazon Web Service situation is affecting like a bunch of platforms on both web and app. Um, so, you know, probably like even like let's say if you have a podcast right now, if you get less listens this week, people are just behind because their apps and their websites aren't working. Um, or just tell so yourself of, that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to make everybody feel good. Because you know what? Uh, so I didn't go back and listen to last week's episode, but I didn't feel like last week's episode was a bummer, but also I don't remember what we talked about. I just remember we finished and I was like, I feel great. <laughs> 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 and then people are like writing us sad comments and I'm like, oh, did I make everybody sad again by mistake? Oh my God. <laughs> well, I titled it something like, you know, a joke about how it was a downer. Yeah. Because we are talking about like fascism and shit. You know, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> not doing it, but talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and not talking about doing it, but talking about the fact that it exists, to be clear. <laughs> uh, but I guess kind of related. It's not fascism related, but it is like uh, related to the way, I guess, it, it's, I don't know. Uh, the reason that I want to bring up this show for us to talk about is because it is a very popular show. It's one of these, uh, so Succession, obviously, we'll put it in the title or in the description oh, succession somewhere. Succession is hella fascism related. Yeah, right? Thank you. Uh, but even before we get into that, uh, wh I want to bring it up because, or I am bringing it up because uh, it's one of these shows that is... Um, one of the few that approximates the monocultural feel of like everybody would stay home on Thursdays to watch must-see TV or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? So it's one of these shows where a lot of the timeline is talking about it at the same time when it's like airing. And then there's like the whole second wave of people who watch it Monday morning on the app. And then the people catching up and then the people who are like, oh, fuck, these people won't shut the fuck up about it. So I'm going to start season one when it's season three is the current, you know, like. Yeah. So it's just these like ongoing waves of. Um, a lot of people having access to seeing the same story and then having uh, both similar reactions that they're like surprised by as though they're the first one to have it. And then also having different reactions based on like the position they occupy in society. Right. Uh, so I just think it's very interesting in that sense, but it also speaks to like a lot of, um, a lot of our themes, you know what I mean? Like, uh, purpose in life and in you know in what you do and why you do it uh your relationship to society and to your family and the expectations of both of those and how they shape you <laughs> like there's just like a lot about it and then also the whole capitalist fascist side of it uh where they are literally a super rich media mogul family that I think controls like an outsized number of media outlets in the world. And they, you know, uh, you're, I don't know. Are you caught up? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, we're at the point now. Yeah. This is going to be all spoilers, but we're at the point now where they literally have these like meetings or like not even like parties with other heads, heads of industry and shit 
where they are getting together to kind of like pre-decide who should even be running for president for the Republican Party based on their business interests. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what's funny to begin with, let's just fucking start here, is that season one, I think a lot of people started to get into it as like, oh, my God, we're like seeing who these people really are and behind like, you know, stupid idea of like we're humanizing a rich mogul. Like, like get the fuck out of here. Why do they need humanizing? Yeah, they don't think you're a human. It's <laughs> what one of those things that like exposes the schizophrenic mindset of Americans so hard because half the people that watch it maybe maybe even more maybe the majority of people that watch more it half, are yeah, you're sure. like missing the point entirely yeah. but like somehow still enjoying it yeah it's crazy people can be served the same like item and just perceive it entirely different ways and still totally. like it like get to the yeah. out of it or whatever and and that you could be like um i guess like brought in by something surface level where you identify with it uh like even something very basic where i think like a lot of women and frankly especially white women to be honest with you i see them like really just like loving shiv yeah her haircuts her fucking sweaters the fact that she's like so deadpan that she's like trying to be a leader in her industry she's a democratic uh what do you call it uh i don't know campaigner or whatever the fuck like, you call those people um she you know, they see her as, like, girl boss, fucking whatever, like, something to look up to. And it's, like, this person, literally the conflict in her life is that she wants a CEO position for which she has absolutely no experience or merit or, like, anything other than she thinks she's better than her her brothers. And, like, that's it. Uh, she's married to, like, a piece of shit who also only uses <laughs> her for networking and to, like, increase his proximity to power through her. And yet... We're supposed to see, or now we're not supposed to see this. And that's not at all what I'm arguing. The people who are out there being like, oh my God, I love Shiv. They are completely not seeing that she is a representation of a fucking piece of shit person that you do not want to be. Is this the kind of relationship that you want to be in? And so, <laughs> you know, it gets, it gets crazy because at the beginning, so you're loving Shiv. And then we, by the time we get to season three, more and more of the mask is being peeled away, you know? So now they're doing the thing where they're, like, blatantly uh, manipulating politics, right? And uh, in Shiv and Tom's um, marriage, the blatant conversations, like, the conversations become more blatantly transactional negotiations as opposed to romantic interactions where he is, like constantly talking about how he's going to go to jail for her family and for the company so that he's like earning his place. And then what he's, what, and to her, she's like, God, stop fucking talking about it already. <laughs> like you already decided you're going to do it. Why? You know, he's going to fucking jail. Of course he's talking about it. Yeah. And then he is like, well, since I'm going to jail, you know, you should let me knock you up. So that way you can like have the baby by the time I get out of jail. You know what I mean? And then like, she initiates sex with him at one point and he tells, he turns her down and he's like, what's the point? If you don't want to have a baby, like there's no point in having sex. You know what I mean? So yeah, they're so sad. It's not just sad, Jake. That is like a blatantly put out there. Blatant is gonna be the fucking word of the episode of the this episode. But like, it just is very transparently and clearly and without any pretense putting out the fact that this marriage is a transactional situation, where I, Tom, am putting myself at risk 
in order to preserve the the position of power of your family and your co- family's company because that earns me a proximity of power and you'll be in my debt. And the only way that I can be assured that you have that level of loyalty back to me, it's like medieval shit, is that you're going to have <laughs> a baby that will have like my seed continue so he will inherit he or she will inherit all of this bullshit that I'm sacrificing myself for. Yeah. You get me? And then when she's like, well, having a baby would really like throw a wrench into my fucking lady boss plans, <laughs> you know, then he's like, well, you're a horrible wife who doesn't love me, <laughs> you know, and so it's like none of this is healthy or aspirational, like beyond the haircut, I guess. Nothing is aspirational in this show. There is not one healthy character or relationship or positive role model, and yet uh have you seen uh what is that fucking show called the righteous gemstones yeah i love righteous gemstones isn't it great yeah uh, I, f- I fucking love it but what's funny to me is that i actually think these two shows are very very similar yeah when i, I first believe... watched succession yeah. i was like oh this is so funny it's like this yeah. it's like a bizarre version of the same family exactly and what's funny is i do believe it has the same executive producers i think they're both will ferrell and adam mckay but Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. But um, what is funny is that, like, I would say both Adam McKay and Will Ferrell do a lot of this, like, exploring the dynamics of a family based in based on class or, like, identity or nationality or something like that. Yeah. But it's just, like, that's not the stated project. And what's strange to me is that with um, The Righteous Gemstones, right, we all watch it. And A, nobody denies it's a comedy. Right. And B, I think the reason that nobody denies it's a comedy is because, quote, modern America, we do see the religious or hyper religious person as an other that it's acceptable to laugh at. You get me? So when we see this family where their power dynamics and their relationship and their financial security and their identity and their you know, like father, daughter and father, father, son relationships, all this shit is based around religion as the thing that gives you money and proximity to power. We can all laugh at that and be like, that's fucking ridiculous, (laughs) right? They're a bunch of hucksters. They're a bunch of fucking terrible people. So it gives us like a easy distance to recognize that this is a satire of how of a family, right? But dude, it is literally the same satire because it is how our modern capitalist fucking colonial world interferes in our ability to have interpersonal relationships with each other okay it's just that one it's based on this religious fucking shit and then for the other it's based on capital avarice and greed and monopolizing media right yeah and the thing is that like because that second thing is something that we understand as kind of like respectable (laughs) right like being a titan of industry, respectable. Being the best in your business, respectable. Greatest CEO, you could run for president. You know what I mean? Like, deep down inside, especially in America, we recognize these things as being like markers of success, and you are literally a titan in our society. So when we watch this satire about this family who is full of worms, full of horrible people <laughs> who are eating away at each other, who are eating away at society, like actively making our all of our lives worse. 
we sit there being like, I love her haircut and I love her sweater and I could totally identify. <laughs> and like the rap scene with Kendall at the end of one season where he's just like, you know, people call it cringe, but they like loved it, Jake. People dressed up as this motherfucker for Halloween. And it's like, <laughs> yo, that is the most pathetic character I have ever seen in my life. He is literally a 40 year old baby boy who is getting on stage to humiliate himself to try to impress his friends and his dad and the media. And nobody likes you afterwards, no matter how much money you have. It's fucking terrible. And people are like, I fucking, it's so funny. I love Kendall. And they're not laughing at him. They're laughing with him in this way of like, in the birthday party scene, I feel like the whole audience should tag themselves as being the guy sitting on the couch encouraging Kendall for every stupid idea he had for his birthday party because he knows that whatever <laughs> party he decides to have, I'm going to get free drugs and chicks and shit because my dumb friend is the one with the money and he pays for everything. So I'm just going to be a yes man to him. That's what the audience is. I don't know if that makes sense. What do you think? I have a lot more to say. So tell me what you think about that. <laughs> Oh, I have so many thoughts about what you just Please, said. Paragraph it. Do it because I went real. <laughs> I touched too many points. No, I could tell that you had stuff you're thinking about, man. So I was just like, go off. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so you're right about the monoculture thing. When I was watching it this week, it kind of occurred to me because I was because I watch Twitter while I'm watching it and stuff, and I don't. Then if it's Sunday, I like don't look at Twitter until I've seen it because everyone's fucking yeah. talking about it. Which I've honestly I've been thinking about a lot because it's a little bit annoying because like uh, I don't like the idea that I kind of feel like we live in future scientific dystopian world where like uh here's your tv show we made for you you know like it's designed for us to have discourse around and shit um like one one of the fucking red scare people is on it now and it's like horrible like i know how it's the sausage succession yeah dude fucking comfrey is one of those red scare dumbasses <laughs> you know oh, that really? <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's hilarious like i personally oh my god somebody somebody who personally hates me is like on the show that is like the thing that everyone on earth is watching right now it's so is annoying. that her real name no it's not no no one's real name is oh. comfrey oh okay i was gonna say <laughs> that's a real name <laughs> okay i'm sorry no yeah. no actually you know what so her name a fucking uh <laughs> so i i was reading uh this thing about all the names right so obviously this is like a really heavy-handed great fucking symbolic story Romulus and Logan Roy, right? I mean, there's so yeah. much stuff going on there with like Rome and stuff. Uh, you know, the myth about the two wolves. It's uh, about passing on an empire. The whole show is about passing on the empire. Yeah. Logan means wolf. Romulus is the name of one of the walking wolves. Yeah. Uh, Kendall is like a Ken doll. Shiv, Shaban, her nickname's Shiv. There's all this stuff going on. Yeah. That her, <laughs> the chick from Red Scare, her name's Comfrey Pellets. And somebody found out that that's like a fucking, uh, it's like a gardening thing. <laughs> like somebody just <laughs> randomly found this company that makes these things called Comfrey Pellets. And uh, <laughs> I think that's what she's named after for some reason. But you see what I mean, this is a very ridiculous show, and like, even like, dude, Will Ferrell is producing it. Is what he? makes you think? Are you sure? I know yes, Adam McKay is. I am so sure. Hold on. Well, okay. So, before, before we get to that, though, um, so yeah, it's it's it, but it took the place of Game of Thrones. I thought there would never be another Game of Thrones, and you're right, it is very medieval. It's just like Game of Thrones because what people are doing yeah. with it, and also, okay, so there's a couple 
comparisons I want to make. You're right about the righteous gemstones. I'd say the other thing that people compare it to that kind of is in the same realm of, of it as, is uh, Arrested Development. But Arrested Development is really funny because mm -hmm. the characters are like the butt of the jokes. And, uh, and they're failures at this. They're, right. they're failed Logan Roy's. Yeah, and it's further into the realm of comedy, and it's kind of a healthier way of looking at all this stuff yeah. because they're like horrible people, and you're that's what you laugh at, right? But with um, with what people did when Ga when Game of Thrones was on the air, and what and what people are doing right now with like Shiv, what you were talking about, they're very similar because they fall into like um, like capitalist realism, like what you were talking about, where where uh, the, the, every character is horrible. That's the huge mm -hmm. problem with the show. I mean, every once in a while on the outside, you get like this weird avatar for like Bernie Sanders or something like that, or like, you know, some side arc where there's like Antifa or something. But generally, the story itself is of it's encapsulated entirely within this family. Therefore, the entire world in your mind exists. Like, if characters in a story are all representatives of various things in the world the entire story of the world is told through like these 10 people or whatever and that yeah. is kind of perfect because you're literally like the way that they keep you from ideologically understanding any of the ills of society is by only you know like by leaving it out of the fucking story so like um sh uh fucking Shiv, like, what's going on with her and, like, the girl boss stuff, it's, like, I mean, she's, like, Hillary Clinton. Like, I literally had, like, Hillary Clinton people yelling at me on Twitter today, and I was thinking about this. <laughs> uh, like, the the the, the thing, the thing I, I keep coming back to whenever I think about this stuff, this phrase I've mentioned before probably on the show, that um, Kim Stanley Robinson said in an interview is the novel is a bourgeois form. So, like, when bourgeois society was birthed, and suddenly, you know, you went from stories being these big, long, epic things that you told by, you know, by rhyme scheme to memorize them and stuff like that. Or like these things that were like all coming out of like the Bible and like religious texts and stuff like that. You have this new thing, which is like the printing press comes about and you can write these like, you know, two or three hundred page long stories that are that are just like interactions between a few people within like a personal friend group or whatever. They're told in very much like a single camera style thing. It's coming out of one person's head and these stories then become really popular. And so they're shaped by the form, which is something we talk about on the show a lot. You know, they're shaped by like the way that, that you're able to get these stories distributed. People, you know, in the 1800s are like able to walk around with a little fucking thing in their pocket and sit and wait for the train or the, you know, whatever, uh, and read a, a you know, an Eddie Allen Poe story or whatever. Um, that th that's how you end up with these stories where like there isn't anyone in the story of succession that represents proper like subversion or justice so but all you can do is attach to someone like Shiv who's kind of considered to be the like within that story she kind of is, she's like a liberal kind of she kind of has like um uh, and of uh, what do you call it? She's like mad that they're, you know, that they're going to run a Nazi guy for president and stuff like that. And that's like so she. So she seems like the least bad. You mean, or the 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 least evil, or whatever. Well, the lesser evil. Yeah, and it seems like it's it's exactly like it tracks exactly to all that people think 
is possible in real life in terms of like stopping Nazis and stuff like that is that oh you got to vote for the democrat who's also a member I, of the ruling class who's like I know dude evil. I know but right now you are speaking as a person of a lower class right or at least not a, like of the class of these fucking roy people right I, and so that <laughs> I'm not pointing to like the specific politics of the characters in here are bad what I'm pointing to is that the politics of all of the characters in this show do not represent 90% of the people watching the show. I know, that's okay? what I'm saying. Right. So the fact that um, any like working class woman watching the show is like, well, I will map onto and identify and project onto Shiv because she's the least bad and she's doing the best she can in that situation. That, I think, is the problem with the show. Totally. And it's not the show's pro- fault. It is our fault as audience. If you and have I think cl- that's like... If what have, I'm trying to bring up. Yeah. If, if you have class consciousness and you watch this show, you take it in entirely differently. I don't sit around and watch it and go, man, Roman was really cool this week. I yeah, want to be like dude. Roman. I laugh because I'm like, these are this is a story about Can a I tell bunch you something? of sick fucking Rich people. Comics? Rich Comics, they love Roman and they tweet about <laughs> identifying with Roman and how they are the Roman in their family. And I'm like, mm, telling us a lot, telling us a lot. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. I just like him because he's a sicko. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, but I mean, there's somebody tweeted a while back, like, um, you know, some weird fucking Twitter account. It's probably not even a real person tweeted. Like there needs to be more black uh, characters on succession or whatever. And it was like funny. Where would like, they be? The show is about the evil white people that run the world yeah. and how horrible they are. Like it would not make, it's like, it would, it's like reverse Hamilton or something. Like this it, is the perfect place to bring up Jerry. Honestly, uh, Jerry is one of my favorite characters. And I say that as a person who hates all the characters, right? <laughs> uh, I do not admire her. I don't want to be here. I don't think she's great. None of that, but she's very interesting because she is the token in that boardroom. Okay. So Jerry is the woman, like, she's probably, like, what, like, 60? How old do we think she is? I'm sorry for anybody who's older than her or younger than her, but, Uh, like, I don't know. I'm guessing 60. And so that puts her around an age, or maybe, like, 55 to 60, and that puts her around an age where she is of that generation that pre-prefaced the girl boss. Okay, Jake? So that means she is of the generation where... She had to prove herself in a boys club. She had to shake off the grabbing of her butt and the sexual harassment and the comments, the slight slight comments about her outfit and what the fuck for 40 years (laughs) or for 30 years to make it all the way to being like some kind of like executive level with this Roy person, uh, with this Logan Roy, right? But she's still below him. And even throughout the entire series, she's extremely measured in the way that she expresses her opinions because she knows that at any moment you could be kicked out of this. You know what I mean? So she's that token woman in the boardroom from the 80s and 90s who's still around. So it just happens to be that this boardroom is so antiquated that they don't even have a black token yet, right? But if there were a black token, it would be another character like Jerry who constantly would just have to be like watch my ass like if you look at her face she looks like she is in a war zone and is just trying to figure out how to not get shot today (laughs) you know like and that is what a black 
president or whatever the fuck they would put into this board would also be representing because that's the whole point. Every like that's what Tom is. Everyone who's not in the family is fodder to be taken down by capitalism, you know, for the purpose of this conglomerate of corporations to continue existing. And so Jerry then now is like a figurehead sort of who's being like put in charge because Logan himself can't be in charge and none of his kids are good enough or ready enough to do it. So she's like a temporary Holden right there. And it just seems so interesting to me because if you are like a liberal feminist girl boss type of woman, then Jerry is more (laughs) like the person you should be looking up to. Like, I understand why you wouldn't, because she's putting up with, like, advances from Roman and from shitty treatment from Logan. But those advances and the shitty treatment and her ability to navigate that white, male, rich world is what has gotten her success in the first place. So if what you actually want is success in the world as it is, Jerry is the person who shows it to you, not a rich girl born into position and into fucking give me the the job of being the boss. That's not a girl boss, right? <laughs> so I fucking hate her. And if you like Shiv, you should be liking fucking Jerry. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but sorry, continue. Where were you at? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's like I was just think about Game of Thrones because like when Game of Thrones was on the air. Um, the 2016 through, I guess, the last elections were kind of happening. It was kind of an, an endless, like, soap opera in yeah. just the news or whatever. So it was a perfect avatar, or uh, Game of Thrones was a perfect avatar for it because it lasted around for the politics. same time. And it was yeah. very bougie, but it was like, um, people did the same thing where they were like, uh, they stand like Daenerys Targaryen, who was. Like born into, you know, a monarchy and did all this horrible destruction and like was a fucking white savior and all this horrible stuff. They also stand um, Cersei Lannister because she was doing all this horrible stuff like underhanded evil, you know, shit that's fun to watch. It's fun as part of a medieval story to watch like evil royalty or whatever. But she was doing all this stuff you know, uh, ruthlessly to try to get the crown and then make some huge point of, you know, putting a blonde lady on the, the fucking throne. And then that's justice. And like, when you read the books, it's like, yeah, these people are like inbred psychopath, evil people, but (laughs) through the the fucking medium of, of prestige television, it became this thing where people were unironically, like, um, you know, that's my role model. And like, I want that person to win this thing yeah. that represents like the, my path in life. And it's like, it's a temporary temporary. I'm using all these fucking cliches that I've dropped throughout the entirety of this podcast, but they all, they all apply to this. It's like a temporarily embarrassed millionaire problem. Like you were talking about. Totally. This is all about that. Yeah. People that watch the show, most of us are not in the fucking ruling class. Uh, and even people that are rich that watch this show aren't in like the ultra elite <laughs> that is represented on this fucking show, like picks the president yeah. or whatever. But, but the big, the big problem is that the, the class thing, if you are working class, it makes no sense for you to, to, 
empathize with these characters and to think of justice in the world as one of them winning. It's the same problem people have with politicians. It's like that person would step over your dead body to win this thing. They don't actually yeah. like you, right? I'm having to explain this to yeah. like older relatives and friends of mine all the time, like who like still love Hillary Clinton and shit. And the thing that's I've, I've arrived at is like she would kill you, like she hates you, you know, because yeah. in their minds, I think there's this thing where it's like, no, she's like I'm kind of like her, like she and I'm sure she. If likes you were me. at a wedding in the Middle East, <laughs> <laughs> right? She would blow you up. You know? <laughs> um. No, I do. I totally agree with you. But man, I guess I feel like I have to drill down on it because I do think there is a fundamental difference between the succession thing and the and the Game of Thrones thing, which is that in Game of Thrones, there were redeemable characters. Yeah. In Game of Thrones, there were heroes. Like, sure, we still had the problem of people idolizing bad guys. I think that's like a problem we can't get past <laughs> because... Because also, I don't think you shouldn't idolize bad guys. Uh, but that's a whole other podcast that we should do. <laughs> but uh, the problem with succession specifically is that there are no good guys. So what concerns me is that there seems to be a lack of critical risk, critical thinking going on on the part of the audiences, or at least the loudest parts of the audiences who are talking about it publicly on the internet. Because they are, they are as you said picking the lesser evil as like this must be the hero instead of critically thinking about the fact that there is no hero in this story. It's the same thing we that should, happens and, with... And that, the, and that the message is what you were saying, that we need to learn to stop identifying with these people in the way that we do with politicians and all that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, it's the same as what? With the Republican and Democratic Party, I mean, the entire grift of the two-party system is people on either side of this thing think that their the whichever party that they fucking uh vote for and support usually this i think happens more with people that support the democrats is they think they think that there is a good party and a bad party you know or like a party that's on behalf of something resembling an establishment and then a party that's against it what they don't realize is that both of these parties are they're the left and right wing or the blue and red color of the capitalist class of the ruling exactly. class. And so when you frame things, when you frame things in a really tricky fashion like that by reducing everything to creating the illusion of choice, you yep. you get people, you hoodwink them like um good cop bad cop, right? That the entire thing when when you get arrested and they have one cop talk to you and they're nice and the other one cops to you and they're mean is it, you're you're starting you're trying to create an idea in the person's head that one of these people is fundamentally different from the other. They're both cops. Like you need good person, bad person. One of them being a cop, yeah. one being not. Uh, this the same thing happened when uh, they ran like a million people for uh, president on the Democratic primary ticket. The point there, I think, was to create the illusion of choice. Because if you talked, I went out canvassing, you know, and I'd talk to people and they'd be like, wow, you know, I kind of like Beto, I kind of like Buttigieg, I kind of like, uh, what's her face, the stapler lady. Like, and they would be describing them all as if they had been handed this catalog of like very different things, you know, and you'd be frustrated because you'd be like, this is a fucking trick. <laughs> like, this is, you could choose between five of these same Toyotas. Well, they're all fucking Toyotas. I don't want a Toyota. I want a fucking bicycle you know like i want a car or i want a, I want uh, a subaru yeah like something else you know and it's like i wish there's a there's probably a word for this very simple concept but it's just you see it over and over and over again in society and like succession is 
it's happening with the relationship between the viewer and the fucking show. And that's mm-hmm. what's so depressing about it. But it is, I mean, it almost makes fucking perfect sense that we moved from like the, like our TV thing being medieval to like the next phase of history. Same story, uh, kind of even more dire, obvious, the word of the day, blatant, you know representation of this like yeah this huge problem well it seems like a little bit like um uh, i guess two two points here to make one is like a little bit like uh you know we talked about the comparing this to like medieval (laughs) both medieval society but also now i'm going to bring in medieval art right uh which is like uh so the writer adam mckay it is an executive producer and so is will ferrell but in this article that I just read that we were going to talk about in a second, um, Adam McKay is, is quoted as referencing succession as being a King Lear for like the media mogul world or whatever. Yeah. And it's funny because um, I do think that what it has is these aspects of what Shakespearean theater did and what like the troubadour and jester phase of art did in the medieval world, which was to make fun of the ruling class to their faces without them being aware they're being made fun of. You understand me? So succession. I've I've talked to male comedians over 50 before. I'm familiar with the concept. (laughs) Thank you so much. I am a male comedian over 50. They always say this. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But, I am not comparing stand-up to that. I am saying this show is that. (laughs) So maybe I am a male comedian over 50. But um, because what it is doing is uh, criticizing, satirizing a upper echelon of society on a prestige network that people are paying extra to see and that people are reading as, like, drama and true and real and, like, something to look up to. And so I bring this up because fucking, you know, we've this whole time we've been talking about like how we have perceived the show, how audiences are interacting with the character ideas and with the whole show itself. But then this week, The New Yorker came out with a profile on Jeremy Strong, who's the actor who plays Kendall Roy, the second oldest son in succession. Uh, the cringe one that we've just been talking about mostly. And uh, it's really interesting to me, Jake, because, well, first of all, the whole internet got in an uproar because it's like about his method acting and how that makes him annoying. And we can totally talk about that. But what was interesting to me is that it revealed for us the way that a lot, like the relationship that a lot of the actors themselves have with the characters in the show. You get me? Yeah. So it's like, we always think of like a thing that's put out in media as like having only one side effect of like how it affects the audiences and how the audiences react. But the actors and like the people working on the shit, the fucking uh, props people, like everyone who's making it has an experience while making it that affects what is being made. And so to get an insight into this, this article was very interesting to me because what we end up seeing is like, you know, overall, I want to hear your like your opinions about this article. But overall, I mainly want to talk about the dichotomy between um, not Kendall and Roman, but Jeremy and Kieran as artists and where they come from and how they see what their job is in relation to this show. Totally. And I'll, I'll jump into that. But tell me, what did you think about the 
article of the show? I don't know. Uh, I didn't finish it, but I read most of that article. Um, the end is just like a little cutesy wrap up. I, I think I got the meat of it. I, I got to the mm-hmm. Kieran stuff and I got through all the method acting stuff. And like, honestly, I'm a little conflicted because like, uh, I think conflicted is the right way to feel about this article, but go on. I mean, I think he, he clearly did a great job at portraying this character. And yeah. I'm a little bit of an apologist for like eccentric hard asses. Like, um, you know, all the stories you hear about, like, Kubrick, like, just torturing yeah. his actors. I mean, I think he really literally drove What's-Her-Face Shelley Long uh, insane. Like, she never recovered <laughs> from filming The Shining. It's the greatest horror film of all time, you know, but um, it's morally dubious. And, like, I I think <laughs> I really I, th- I thought something was kind of interesting in the article. Where they, they talk about method acting. and He talks about this conversation that happens between two actors. um, famous but i can't remember the names off the top of my head one of them's american one of them's british they're filming a scene the american guy his character has to be like uh tired or hung over or something for a scene yeah so he parties for three days straight and then he films the scene and the british guy goes uh jesus man haven't you ever heard of acting you know and it's like <laughs> such a funny thing is like yeah you can pretend yeah. to be hung over or you can do this thing and or so, you can get really hung over and then do your job <laughs> yeah and he's like but he's identified that specifically as like an american, an american thing, thing which i think yeah. is really interesting because like so you, interesting yeah. you cannot compartmentalize your life everything you you know there's this virtue in the even to self-destructive degree like Dude, because we're capitalists. Yeah, because yeah. we're... And we believe that, uh, like, uh, it's pretty creepy. Like, Jeremy Strong, at some point in that article, uh, I don't know if you got to this part, but uh, basically the interviewer, he also meets Jeremy's wife, who is pregnant, and they're, like, at Jeremy and his wife's house in Denmark or some shit. And he's talking to the, the interviewer, he's talking to the wife, and he asks the wife, like, you know, something about, like, how do you think about, you know, how he handles the balance of all what, blah, blah, blah. And she responds something like, oh, I think he has a great balance and that when he's home, he, like, doesn't bring home everything from work, that kind of thing. Like, you know, saying he's a present dad and husband. And Strong overhears this. And then later, Strong and the interviewer talk about it. And Strong admits to the fact that he was surprised by his wife's answer because he expected her to say, like, he's consumed entirely by his work and he's not present here enough and whatever. And then he, like, very revealingly, I think, says that he is not really sure if he is acting at home in the role of father and husband or if he's acting at work in the role he's paid to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so he can't tell the difference as to where it is that he's actually... Like, if if you're a method actor who, for the role you're being paid for, is, like, fully living, getting hungover, doing all the thing that you have to do, getting punched in the face, doing all that stuff, and then you're, like, scheduling going home to be present for your kid's birthday, which one is the one you're living for real and the one that you're playing a role at? Right. Right? And it does seem like he's confused personally <laughs> as to which <laughs> one is the role and which one is his real life. So I think that's, like super interesting you know but like to back up a little bit uh you know you were talking about like respecting these method actors and this is where i'm conflicted with this article because i think that anybody who listens to this podcast or who knows me or you would assume that we would identify with 
with Jeremy Strong and like having this attention to craft and this dedication to producing the best art and like intellectualizing it and not thinking it's just like some stupid shit that just comes out of your ass easily, but you actually have to work at. And I do think that I do agree with all those things. Right. But then what is conflicting for me, I guess, is that this to begin with. Okay. uh, Somebody that I don't know tweeted something today where they were like an actress that I don't know tweeted uh, you know what's funny about the Jeremy Strong profile is that you never hear about a woman method actor. Whoa. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jake. Name one. Yeah. Name a single one. Right. Maybe. It's pretentious bullshit. Couldn't get away with it. It's not, you couldn't get away with it. It's not even that it's pretentious. It's that it is obnoxious. It is um, uh, exerting power over the people around you. Like Jeremy Strong, he is not the main character of the show. Actually, He's there's not the one. Most- uh, the red There's, scare who, lady has been method acting as a, <laughs> as a dumb white fucking dumbass for a decade now. with a lot of money and she's rich and she's an idiot. All right, that's it. That's my joke. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But like, if you read this article, and it's part of I think why a lot of people had a negative reaction to the article is because of these like parts where Jeremy seems like an asshole, right? Because so there were things like um, in one of the recent episodes the character shaves his head off screen. He just like appears on the next scene with a shaved head. And it's supposed to be like a Britney moment. You know what I mean? Like he's fucking starting fresh and he looked in the mirror and he fucking shaved all his hair off and he's ready for battle and whatever. And they tell us in the article, like the actor and the director and the writers all agreed. We don't want to put the actual shaving of the head on screen because that's like already been overdone. And it's like already a cliche thing. But, uh, when it was time for Jeremy Strong to go to the makeup and ha- hair and makeup, uh, whatever the fuck, place to get his hair shaved off, he waited until all the other actors were done so that he would be the only one in there. And apparently he had been doing this regularly where he just like refused to go get his makeup and hair done until everyone else was done so right. that he could have this like intimate experience of looking at himself in the mirror and preparing for the role and whatever the fuck. <laughs> So then, like, to the people who work with him, they're like, this guy's an asshole. He's not nice right. to anybody. <laughs> he, like, does everything he can to not be here. And that seems like a small example, but, like, um, the props master was interviewed as being, as, like, oh, this, like, actor who's not even, like, famous or, like, the main character or anything, demanding different props and, like, change the type of salad. <laughs> like, uh, what about if I did this line? And uh, in one case, he used a line that one of the writers or directors sent him in an email describing the scene so it's not plagiarism but it's also not improv <laughs> you know what I mean like right. I don't know what to tell you it's a fucking weird thing so um, that's what I mean there's this just uh, disconnect right where it's like I want to I do respect having this uh, dedication and commitment and like treating your art seriously but then uh, there's a moment in the article where I guess the interviewer is talking to Kieran Culkin separately. And Kieran is the one who I guess is most like us, Jake, who is just like, what's funny about him is that like absolutely no discretion (laughs) and absolutely no like, oh, I don't want to fuck up my relationship with my actor, like team of actors (laughs) on this show. He's just like full on. Yeah, no, he's pretentious. Isn't it weird? He wouldn't show up to the fucking (laughs) thing to get his hair and makeup done with us. 
And so we have this difference. So this is what I want to bring up to you, right? Because yeah. I think that intellectually and artistically, we are Jeremy Strong's. Okay. We do believe in taking our, our art seriously and crafting it and working at it and all this shit. But then, and, but then on, uh, before we even go to Culkin, there was another side of Jeremy Strong, which is he came from a working class background and then networked his way up into what he has done now. Yeah. So he proud. has a lot of the aspects that we do not like, <laughs> which are to have positioned himself with a proximity to power in the same way that this character, Kendall, has done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where he, from a young age, went out to work for Pacino, went out to do, like, did you get as far as reading the story where he got his high school or his college to make up an award that they were going to give up, give to Pacino just so that he would have an excuse to be able to invite Pacino to the school to get the award? I think and so. And he ended up, yeah, well, so he ended up getting, like, the the student group in debt and shit because he spent too much money and it was all meant just for him to meet Pacino and like have a night with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So from a young age, he was just like playing chess, maneuvering the game and the business of it in addition to the craft side of it. So he has a side we like and a side we don't. And then we have Kieran Culkin, who the side that we like is the fact that he makes fun of someone like Jeremy Strong because he doesn't even see the humor in what he's doing. He takes it so seriously that he doesn't know how to live in the moment and actually improvise. Kieran has the sensitivity uh, that we do of like irreverence towards other people in in their own career and social sphere. So he speaks freely while Jeremy Strong is like extremely like rehearsed, right? So one of the things Kieran says about Jeremy is that even when they're supposed to be ad-libbing, Jeremy would clearly do like speeches that he had pre-written and you know, and prepared. So it's like when people go to 51st Jokes and they do an old joke, <laughs> you know? Oh, uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> he is one of those fucking people. I don't like him anymore. Yes. Yeah, so Jeremy's <laughs> one of those people. And Kieran is one of the people being like, bro, you're scared to bomb? You're scared to bomb? I came here with my brand new written joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like... So we love that about Kieran, but also, Jake, what I have to introduce as a conflict for both of us is that Kieran can very easily occupy that position because he comes from fame and money. So he didn't ever have to do any of the drill down on his craft or on his networking that Jeremy Strong had. Oh, interesting, yeah. He just got to be funny and be himself and fucking ad-lib and people loved it, (laughs) you know? And so it's like... Oh, I don't necessarily like I like what Kieran is saying, but I feel like he doesn't understand that he is coming at art in, from an entirely different perspective than Jeremy Strong is. Does that make sense? So I just am uh, almost more interested in who these actors are and their relationships with the show and their characters than the actual fucking show. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a fucking hall of mirrors. Acting is confusing. It, part of the reason yeah. I have a hard time with this, because it it's so confusing, because you you listen to this and you're like, okay, but like his character is an asshole, so this kind of mm-hmm. all works, because you can feel it, the, the character behind the scenes bleeding into the character on screen, and you're like, I guess that's exactly. well executed. I have a hard time thinking about this, because I just acting is not something I do. Like It really, right. really kind of boggles my mind. And it seems 
confusing and difficult and I kind of I respect people that could do it either way because I don't know how to do it I don't really feel like it's my place to be telling people how to do yeah. it but I can see the parallels like in comedy with what you're talking about like the 51st jokes thing or whatever yeah. um, I fucking I can't like part part of the reason that I you know I talk about I talk from a place I think of like having integrity on some level sometimes but a lot of it is because I fucking can't like I never had a I never had an option to be like a fucking weird Kendall uh, what's his face Jeremy Strong guy Yeah, I, I had an uh, auditioned the other day to do an acting thing and like the premise the prompt was like okay so you really like this brand but not because you work for it it's because you really like it and it's, like, they just kept telling me all these like yeah. huge things that are like contradictions in capitalism they were like <laughs> you're explaining the brand uh but it's because um it's not because it's uh you know it's, it, it's like you're i can't lie like what do you mean no i don't fucking like planet fitness or whatever the fuck it was like so you know what's funny though dude what's clear to me now as you're saying this rant about planet fitness <laughs> is that uh Wow, so interesting. This is what's interesting is that I would say as your friend and a person who watches your field of comedy and business and shit, you are a person who came from a Jeremy Strong background of like, this is a thing I want to do that I don't have already a springboard and access to and therefore I have to figure out my own way through it. But he went that networking path. That shit always made my skin crawl. Yes. I could never and do you it. You did not, right? Yeah. So, but then what's weird is that you ended up at the same place as a Rory Culkin, who ended up there, even though he didn't start at the same place as you, of struggling to figure out like how to be an artist and make it work within the framework of my class. He is actually doing the opposite of like everything's already handed to me. How do I prove that it is not a waste that it was handed to me? And yet he ended up at the same place of like, don't take yourself so seriously, but also do the best that you can because you love and respect your art. You know, like, well, I don't know. It's you know what I, confusing. You know what I did? Dialectics. I fucking yeah. figured out the two parts of the various things that were in conflict with each other. Yeah. And I went, you know, it, I, it took me a long, entire career as a comic to kind of get to a point, you know, maybe like in the last fucking five years or something where I was like, Oh, I like this art and I don't like the fucking part of it that is this other thing that, you know, you yeah. could, but like I watch people, I watch people do the networking thing and I'm like, it's like a movie or something. You're like watching somebody like destroy their fucking soul <laughs> in order yeah. to like rise in those circles. And I'm like, fuck that. I would quit. I would quit if I did that, but I don't yeah. want to quit. So I'm going to hang out. And something happened that I'm constantly trying to explain where I'm like, I quit, but I didn't quit. And that's some, that's fucking synthesis, man. Like I just kept the parts that I wanted. So that's how I ended up where I'm at. But like I, the thing you're describing between Kieran Culkin and, uh, and Jeremy Strong is kind of interesting on this level of like, um, I was watching, you know, you know, you know who's chiming in on this is kind of interesting. Paul F. Tompkins. He was talking mm. about it. And he was very anti Jeremy Strong. He was oh, interesting. Yeah, really? it was, everyone was gushing about that article, and then I was reading him yeah. his Twitter, and he was like, uh, "This is fucking annoying. Like, there's always someone that does this." Uh, yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Like, it is wrong. Fuck me. Whatever. But uh, he, but he was talking about how like creativity is a collective effort and it's also this is the important part a good time <laughs> like you're supposed to kind of enjoy yeah. making stuff like this and when somebody comes in and they fucking like like he was like apparently jeremy strong was doing stuff like um 
like uh he was describing the scenes where they go in and they banter with each other as like a boxing match and then Kieran yeah. Culkin said I think of it more as a dance you know yeah where we're collaborating yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. um, but you know what I would say what I have heard and maybe like tell me if I'm wrong but what I've heard is like Paul F. Tompkins you know he does everything like sometimes I'm like, fuck, do you have to give every job to Paul F. Tompkins? <laughs> but I think part of the reason is not just that he's so super talented at everything, but it's also that he is easy to work with and people like having him around as a person that is respectful and pleasant and like follows all these steps and can be talented and counted upon to do a great job without being a fucking diva and making everyone else around them feel terrible. You know what I mean? Uh, this is the thing that goes back to like, even like Patrice O'Neill, you know, like we all want to believe like being the funniest or being the best at your thing is all that matters. And it's like, no, none of this art is made individually. People have to want to work with you. It does. It, it just can't be, I get to be a fucking grump about how I want shit to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but something I wanted to bring up is like, you seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia? He's literally just watching it. Oh, my God. So this is where I want to throw in that, like, uh, I, I bring it up because so I've had, for example, I had this like weed delivery chick one time. <laughs> this is a weird story. But like, it's basically like a hippie, liberal, white, progressive woman who delivers weed for a living. She dresses like a bike messenger. She's like that stereotype, right? She comes to my house to deliver weed and I have on the TV paused Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And she sells me my weed and then she's like, are you watching Always Sunny in Philadelphia? And I'm like, yeah, I am. Why? You like it? And she get, Jake goes, like, she fucking flipped out on me. And she was just like, no, I can't believe that you would watch a show like this. I thought that you were a feminist and a, you know, like a <laughs> modern woman. This show depicts women so badly and, it, you know, all these things. And just like saw it as like, oh, these people are all bad people and therefore this is a bad show. Right. But what Always Sunny does successfully is show us the worst parts of ourselves as a society. And then because we get this comfortable distance of like I'm not like them we get to laugh at them you the, get me the actors on always it's always, always sunny seem like yeah. first of all they're huge acting nerds which is important yeah. in this conversation and second totally. of all they seem like very sweet like they're they are they're, they're super nice yeah and they say straight they up fucking racist and, and misogynist shit <laughs> like they are it is like I, I understand why we deliver your girl was like this is a horrible show but I think she's missing the point of like the satire about our like our class, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is it is a working class sat satire about the ideas that we hold and the things we find funny and then how that relates to everything else within capitals. And so is succession, except that it's not about us. <laughs> it is about a different class than us. So anytime that you feel yourself identifying with any character in succession, you are fucking up and swallowing the Kool-Aid. None of this show is about you other than these are the people who make decisions that affect every day of your life. So if anything, the point of it is to be laughing at them in this way of taking away their power as much as we possibly can because we're not actually taking away their power in real society. 
You get me? So it's, it is yeah. a laughing at the emperor with no clothes on kind of situation. But if you don't laugh at the emperor with no clothes on and you stand there and you tell the naked, naked emperor that he looks great, you're not satirizing the fucking emperor anymore, bitch. You're kissing their ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. I, I don't understand. No, most people, it's like, I mean, this is such a frustrating country because it has yeah. an identity that's all like, oh, I'm a rebel and like, fucking mm-hmm. don't tell me what to do. But it's like, no, it's a bunch of fucking pushovers. Like, they, why do you They worship- just want to be the fucking master so bad. Right. That's well, all they want. It's, I yeah. mean, on some level, it's because they don't conceive of these people as masters because we don't yeah we don't understand that capital rules everything we're slaves. we yeah. think that it's only government and yeah. stuff and so that's why you have the inverse of this which is like the west wing or liberals are like everyone on the yeah. west wing is my mom and dad or whatever it's all other fucking psychosis <laughs> yeah, totally. going on right but like with, with this and show my bernie reminds me of my abusive ex-boyfriend who used to cut me off all the time <laughs> god shut up um <laughs> what's what's i mean what i really jake wa- do i remind you of your abusive ex because i cut you off all the time <laughs> <laughs> my abusive, is this gonna affect your voting patterns? Do you mean my abusive ex, Bernie Sanders? Yes, you do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no. So what I like about the story of Succession, and I think because I watch it from the point of view that you're talking about, the same way I watch, you know, it's always sunny or whatever, is like um, everyone's miserable, you know, and it's like a cliche, mm-hmm. but like the complexity. It's it's not a complicated. It's so pre- funny. It's not a complicated premise for a show. Yeah. Like the premise is these fucking rich people are miserable and uh, they rule the world, and yet isn't that fucking weird, right? But the the mm-hmm. the beauty of it is that these are great actors, and so they and the writing's really good and everything. So they display that in like fucking millions of dimensions, and you see all these interesting ways in which like um like you know so we were talking about Shiv and Tom's like kind of farcical relationship and this question of like it's i mean honestly like he's kind of i know he's a he's a piece of shit also but like he he's, you do kind of see these weird moments of humanity where you're like he's wait the closest to us in class he sure. like kind of is in love with yeah. his wife and he just realizing in real time that she married him like clinton style and was just like i don't actually give a shit about you know i don't love you or whatever or maybe i do Did, i just that's... recently rewatched the episode where he proposed to her do you remember where he proposed to her jake no So in season one, Logan had like a stroke Mm -hmm. and that was the first time where the leadership of the corporation came into like question because what happens if Logan dies, who's going to take over? And at that time, Shiv and Tom were just dating and in the hospital while Logan is like on all the fucking breathing tubes and shit. Because he's like, fuck Tom proposes. Yeah. So it's like him absolutely being like, this is the time for me to buy into the business that is Shiv Roy. (laughs) And then no. it seems like she's like, oh, this is gross. You shouldn't do this. And so at first year, you're about to be like, right, that's right, Shiv. Don't like this is bullshit. This is just him trying to buy into the business of Shiv Roy. And then she turns around and is like, you know what? Yes. <laughs> well, that's why this <laughs> show is just like also a trad thing. Oh, my God. But I'm not going to get into insulting trads on this one. Let's we don't have the time <laughs> not this next yeah. week. But like, you know, you're right. You're right. But that's why this is a fucking good show, because you do get like lost. You get you, you yeah. suspend your disbelief you sometimes because like, yeah. yeah, I always forget that Tom is a fucking psycho until he starts talking to Greg and he just Greg? starts making fun of him. Greg is great because he's like, um, I'll, you I know. also hate Greg, but <laughs> I I am happy. Before you go on to the Greg thing and why you like him, I love that you brought up the fact that when you see Tom talk to Greg is where you see what a piece of shit he is. <laughs> yeah. Because you like it's the first time that he reveals that or it's the only time that he reveals that he is ac- acutely aware of his place in the hierarchy of this family, which is that 
when he talks to anyone else in the family, he is a deferent, submissive, nice boy. And right. as soon as he's talking to Greg, he is a bully, a piece of shit. He demeans him. He, like, sexually and, and like, he, de- what is it, emasculates him. Like, all, all the fucking horrible things that get done to him by Logan and by Shiv and by everyone else he works with, he turns around and dumps it back on Greg, who, again, is the one who is closest to him in class position. Right. right? So, again, this whole fucking show is, like a satire that very clearly shows you how class mobility is not possible, at least not in the way of um, acquiescing and adapting and networking to the system status quo, because it will always make you a token and a bully and a piece of shit. No, but instead people are like, I love Shiv's haircut and I want to have her sweater. And And to me, I'm just like, yeah, of course you can be married to Tom. If you could be on a fucking yacht seven times a year, (laughs) I'm like, It's, Go to the other side of the yacht and ignore him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so fucking sad that people, like, stand these characters because it's like, uh, that that means that they've accepted that that is all that is possible to be in this world. Yeah. And it's not, it's also not possible. You will never be Shiv. Like, you will never be that, fucking and it's also enemy. nothing to aspire to. Yeah. You're right. That's what's doubly fucked up about it. You, A, you cannot reach that. But B, you shouldn't want to reach that. Right. <laughs> Insane. Um, uh, I, go, do you have anything else to say? Because I only have a closing statement. Well, yeah, I have a few things. Um, go. Sorry, go for this it. is a very popular TV show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the the misery of these characters, right? Uh, the, I mean, the huge fucking thing at the end of this last episode, besides what happened to Kendall, was uh, Roman Roy, right? <laughs> this whole thing where, like, he's like got this crazy expression of his sort of like um like schizophrenic like like displaced you know soul where he doesn't he can't be intimate like we do identify with roman a lot yeah i love him (laughs) yeah we love Roman. (laughs) he's really funny you know (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he's uh and he's a fucking freak sicko (laughs) yeah he's a sicko but it's like but he's in the sense that like he can't like you know over the course of this show you've seen him like not really be able to have like personal relationships and stuff like that yeah and i think it's really interesting because he because i'm still reading this fucking ptsd book and now it's like everywhere i see it everywhere or whatever but like it's funny because like he doesn't understand how miserable he is like he's like Mm -hmm. because he has no contact with like his inner self because of whatever the fuck is going on there like either traumatic shit or he's or literally it could be you could take a materialist approach to this go is literally just the circumstances of this fucked up life that he was born into because he's so disconnected from who like he probably actually is he seems like he just said fuck it and he's like well i'm just gonna enjoy this like superficial stuff that exists purely in the moment so he's always like pissing on things and like coming on shit and sending <laughs> pictures to people and stuff and it's like a, it shows you like like this is not good. Like you watch him and you're the feeling I get out of like all these characters when I watch them is I bet these people a don't realize how miserable they are and they all seem like they yeah. they kind of want the fucking throne but also they kind of just want out and like I bet they would yeah. all be happier if cuz a lot of them in the, the the story flirt with like leaving, you know? Like Kendall talks about mm-hmm. it a few times or whatever and like what if you could just get out of this entire situation and just go you know, be a person somewhere. You can imagine 
someone like I, I I just imagine the character Roman like so, taking fucking Molly in another country somewhere and then fucking having it all come crashing down and changing his personality or something. Isn't that interesting though? Uh, that is perhaps the most interesting aspect of the show to me is that for like a culture who claims to be so hyper individualist, you know, and so like about self realization and go out there and be your own rebel and your own person, your own man and whatever. This is constantly our struggle that we face, which is that going off and being your own person very often is contrary to what is financially and socially, like financially profitable and socially acceptable. Right. right? So Roman could go off and be crazy Roman somewhere and have a great life and be liked by everyone, but he can't A, relinquish the approval from his family and B, the potential financial security. Roman has the desire to... Uh, prove his father that he to prove to his father he's a worthy inheritor of the entire legacy, even though he's obviously not. Uh, Shiv doesn't want it, but feels pressure to prove that she, as a woman, is just as deserving as the boys who also don't want it. <laughs> so it's like, uh, do you want to fight this war, or is it just a war that you think you're supposed to fight to like prove some shit? But also because you're afraid to walk away on your own because you won't be living the type of lifestyle that was provided to you by your father's riches. So, you know, they're all interesting characters. I think it's wonderful, but they're not people to be looked up to. They're so- certainly not people for us to emulate or to identify with because they're nothing like you. They are literally like the people who are ruining your fucking life day to day. Yeah. I don't know to explain it to you. Um, uh, oh, go on. The other thing I want to talk about was uh, back to the acting thing because, like, there's this really conf- confusing, like, kind of MC Escher painting that comes into my brain when I start thinking about acting is in regards to all the networking and stuff like that. I don't, it's one way or the other. I mean, it's really confusing because like it's either actors are so good at playing sociopaths that like that's the, when you see the, it's always sunny cast in real life or like acting at not acting as the characters, but doing like interviews and stuff like that. You're like, Holy shit. These people are like pro union. (laughs) They're really sweet. You can tell they really like each other and stuff. And that's why the show really works. Or you have the other side of the coin, which is this method acting thing that we're describing with uh, Jeremy it's Strong. Like we hate each other. Yeah. It's like he purposely makes the other rest of the cast kind of hate him. him. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. kind of, you could maybe, maybe make an argument like that British actor did. That like that's not actually good at acting. You maybe if you were a better actor, you wouldn't have to do all this crazy stuff or whatever. But like, well, hold, let on, me hold on, hold on, here just for one second. All right. Because he in the article he said an interesting thing where it was uh, so. I guess Jeremy Strong heard that Kieran Culkin or somebody else was saying that he was difficult to work with. And so he texted the interviewer and he was like, oh, you know, in terms of me being difficult to work with, I just don't think that um, art can be produced without conflict. Like the the purpose of producing art is not for all of us to get along. Sometimes it has to be like a rough path. <laughs> And honestly, Jake, like, I, I agree with that statement. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, god damn, do you have to be an asshole all the time that people don't like? <laughs> I don't think that that's true. <laughs> so it's, I'm just so conflicted. I am not against Jeremy, but I'm not pro-Jeremy. <laughs> like, I'm just like... I mean, I also I don't, uh, don't get along with everyone that I work with right. by nature of the yeah, fact that so comedy is one big fucking that you don't polycule. have to always love each other to make good art well but he's but i'm right <laughs> like one of the stuff that yeah. i'm talking about because i'm like i don't get along with people who hurt other people 
He yeah. is the one doing the hurting, which is why it's confusing. Totally, but, you're right, you're right. But I, but I also like what I guess. What's really kind of like frying my brain about thinking about all this is, uh, it seems like if you're good at acting, you're good at networking because networking is acting, like in real life. And that's why acting is such a confusing art form because it's. It's very close to what you do all day, every day in real life. And you can get like a pro wrestling about it like he's doing <laughs> and like bleed some Where of you the... you can't tell the difference between <laughs> your fake and your real. Like Jeremy. Right. You can't tell but, the difference between his wife life and his work life. Right. And with acting, yeah. if you see somebody rise to the top, you might go, wow, they did this crazy shit where they fucking weaved like they used acting to to in their career like in the off camera so their personality is shaped a certain way and that got them to the top of this fucking thing but with comedy it's like okay with comedy i, th I guess what i'm saying is that in my head it's it feels like it's kind of inversed and maybe only specifically in like the truth tellery comedy or whatever but the the front that everyone is trying to put on all the time is that they are very like um, consistent and that what they say is the truth and that they, they mean all the things that they say on and off stage, whatever. And so like, wh which one is it though? I, I can't tell because I mean, both like it's always sunny cast and these crazy fucking asshole method actor guys kind of achieve the same thing. So yeah. is is who you are off stage entirely like irrelevant and it just the tools that you use to like get your fucking I, I don't know. I mean there's also there's it's, a disconnect between the character, the fucking like way you navigate your industry and who you are. Yeah. There's like three different people, you know. Totally. No, totally. And I I actually love that this is where you brought it to because the last thing like I have to say that I wanted to just make sure to throw in there was the a quote that stuck with me from that article. It was a Brian Cox thing. He said, it's not even, I'm not even going to give you the direct quote, but basically Brian Cox, who's the older actor who played, he's a British actor who plays the dad, uh, Logan okay. Roy. He said something where he was like, saying that he was concerned about Jeremy Strong because uh, I think uh, Brian Cox was the one who told the story about the British actor and the American actor having like this difference of like, have you yeah. heard of acting? <laughs> right. And so then by the end, Brian Cox says something where he's like, he expresses concern for Jeremy strong because he's like, it, he needs to be kinder to himself. Right. Because the things that he puts himself through in order to be this like method actor or whatever. And I think Jeremy Strong has a different name for it, not method acting. Um, they're cruel things to do to yourself. Right. Like getting drunk and making yourself go to work hungover the next day is hurting yourself. You could have gone to work fully capable of doing the job. <laughs> you know what I mean? And instead you handicapped yourself and you made it harder. And so Brian Cox says something where he's like, Jeremy needs to be kinder to himself in the way that he does his job. And then he says something like, and then necessarily that means being kinder to others. And that's what stuck with me because, you know, in stand up, let's say the guys that have, cause it's men, it's never really women. <laughs> so the guys who have this reputation as, as being these like method comics, like, craft guys, whatever, who are assholes to other people. 
the idea is that they put their craft above everyone else's feelings and that somehow makes them superior or better but really what it's doing is making them less kind to everyone around them this is a direct then, mirror of what it is just like to be a guy like art form aside yeah you have like men that are applauded for just like having no self-control and it's actually a much more yeah. like positive masculine trait to have all of the things that people like about being a guy, being tough and being able to get angry and stuff like that mm. and being able to be in control and stuff like that, but having fucking control over it. Like, it's actually... And kindness for others, it's yeah. It's boyish and immature when you're just like, oh, I can't... I just look and let it out, man, whatever it fucking yeah. happens. Because that's... A, I mean, this is literally the difference between, like, you know, like guy, like guys who get in trouble for, like sexual stuff is i mean they have not learned to control themselves and it's crazy because like god i don't know this is maybe no not cancelable (laughs) it's just too fucking maybe a spicy take or whatever but i've dated a lot of women right Mm -hmm. i think a lot of guys have this fucking conception that when they hear women saying you know that they fucking hate these fucking shitty pushy rapist fucking horrible guys that they're what's confusing is that when you hook up with a woman and then she trusts you she's like all right throw me around and you're like Mm -hmm. and you're like wait choke me bitch you're like wait what i thought you hated that and it's like no they don't hate it they hate when you do it unannounced and without fucking like being allowed to do it and like yeah yeah, and so Mm -hmm. like that's masculinity right The, the 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 being a man like growing up is like learning that part and like being like oh i control when I do the things that affect other people because it entirely affects whether or not they are in pain or they feel good. And that same thing happens with comedy. And this is why I think what's going on with like fucking edgelord comedy is you have these guys who are like, well, funny's funny. And I'm doing, you know, like, like people really think that they're doing the, it's always sunny thing when they make like rape jokes and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. on some level you, there are people who go like, well, I laugh at that because it makes, it affects me a certain way because a fucking thing happened to me or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, you got lucky though, when that person was in the audience and they weren't fucking put off by the way you set up that joke. Like you have to, to be a good comic. The same lucky, way to be, you be only a good heard man. from that person who was okay for, with it, but you didn't hear from maybe the other four people who were in the audience and were really hurt by it. Yeah. Or like and left didn't come or up whatever. to you and tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And be a good comic. Same thing as being a good man. Yeah. You know, it's like fucking learning that and learning how to c- control that and do it in a way that, you know, no one gets hurt and everyone's not a bully. Good time, yeah. You know? Yeah. <sighs> it's uh it's crazy that uh the lesson you should have learned in like second grade about how to not be a bully and be kind and use your power to help others. So many fucking people didn't learn it, Jake. <laughs> like how how did some of us not get out of primary school with a very clear lesson that bullies are bad? And it is your job to never be one and to stand up against all of them whenever you see them. Well, that's, I mean... It's pretty fucking simple. You said that thing about someone tweeting, like, oh, you never see women doing this method acting Mm -hmm. bullshit. I think this is is a huge through line here. It's when you are in a position in society where no one ever pushes back on you, you know, 
I mean, you I almost empathize with these fucking people where like, yeah, you might make it all the way into your life and be 30 years old before you realize. And never get any pushback. Yeah, yeah. Before you even realize any of this stuff was affecting other people, you know, yeah. because no one, everyone's afraid of you and stuff like that. And, you know, you don't live in a space where anyone ever is even around you that expresses totally. that they're fucking hurt by this stuff. So like, you know what? Honestly, I think, I think clearly Jeremy Strong we did love a great succession. job <laughs> acting but he's not he would be a better actor if he wasn't such an asshole and could play the same character the same way I think it's sloppy I think it's sloppy yeah yeah no I think it's uh, this one worked out for him but it the whole article doesn't speak well for how he can do his comedy outside of this context or I'm sorry his art outside of this context but anyway write us a fucking email I guess if you disagree and you fucking love succession and you think there is a actual good character in it you're wrong but send us an email uh at whyyoumadpod at gmail.com uh jake anything else you want to plug any other things you want to throw out there about succession oh man succession um cast me on the next season yo uh (laughs) (laughs) you can be you can be one of the dudes that hangs around with with Roman. Ooh, Roman has no <laughs> friends so far, but he could use a fucking dirtbag Bushwick friend. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a cool arc because he, yeah. quits, he quits his job and he moves into my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, that'd be awesome. I have one show and then, I don't know, New Year's stuff happen- is happening. Listen to my other podcast, Pod Damn America. Follow me at Feral Jokes on Everything. And uh, no, no plugs really. Merry Christmas. Great, me either. Luisa Diaz Nuts, you know us. Uh, I just want to hear emails from you guys. This podcast is everything to me. I'll tell you about my pots that I made. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.